everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of Streamtime Sports. My name is Kristen. I'm the community lead, and after some time, I'm very happy to say I'm back, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. And Nick, you know, maybe, you know, some exciting news. You can, you can fill the people in on why they've been having to wait a couple weeks to hear from you. Yeah, I've been uh, in limbo, so to speak, or in moving, migrating west from uh, from the UK. Rather random and a long story, but I've now found myself on Eastern Time, uh, so USA Eastern Time, the same time zone as New York, but uh, to most people's surprise, and my own as well, not in the US. In fact, I am now based in Jamaica for the near future, <laughs> which is... Yeah, it is as crazy as it sounds. I definitely didn't expect, if you told me a few months ago uh, before all this played out that I would ever be living in the Caribbean, I would have laughed harder maybe. thought maybe my 70s with all my billions saved up from all the success that sports pros had that maybe I'd be retiring out here, but didn't expect to be out here now. But here I am. So I'm now um, sunning myself. Well, sunning myself is probably not the right word. I am now in the thick of a tropical storm in the heart, the capital city of Jamaica, um, settling into life after a couple of weeks of getting uh, the family and um, a selection of belongings over over this side of the world. So uh, good to be here and good to be back on the pod with you again, Chris. Well, you picked a perfect time to leave because uh, we have hit full weather, weather, winter weather here in the UK. It's rainy, it's cold, it's awful, it's miserable. So uh, Apologies if I have very simple, very little sympathy for you having to to move your life abroad to such a terrible place such as Jamaica. Well, look, I normally rub it in your face that I've got beautiful blue skies, I've got beaches around the corner, etc. Except that I don't really have it. The storm, the storm here is the rain is sideways. It's about to rain an inch in an hour, so two and a half centimeters an hour, and the roads don't take it. So literally, the, the there'll be flooding. There'll be mayhem. I am looking forward to dealing with all that shortly. And I'll tell you what, the driving here is something else. So you've got to be on your ball. So rain in the UK does not compare. There's probably more rain today in Jamaica than there will be for probably six to 12 months of the year in, in the UK, I would guess. Fair play. And any any have you had any jerk chicken yet? Any Any local cuisine? Well, at the moment, I'm based in uh, the hotel. We are waiting for our place to to be available to move into. So hopefully moving in this weekend. So plenty of jerk chicken, that's for sure. They love fried chicken over here, which is probably not a surprise for those uh, who maybe uh, are au fait with the cuisine over this part of the world. Lots of fried chicken, lots of jerk chicken, a bit of plantains, quite nice. You know, my kids don't really get their head around the fact that you can fry a banana and it tastes the way it does. So, a lot, lot of, lot of those things. I'm looking forward to actually getting some vegetables into me because apparently that's not on the, that's not a core cuisine over, over here so far that I've seen. Uh, anyway, fair play. Well, there will be lots of interesting stories, I'm sure, over the coming episodes as you settle into life in Jamaica. Um, I'll certainly mostly just be thinking about the beaches, and I like spicy food, so jerk chicken's good for me. Maybe some, you know, rum punch on the side. Maybe maybe I'll maybe we'll have a sports pro, you know, Caribbean sometime, you know, just get the whole company out there. I'm sure all the execs in New York in the winter would like to come down. You know, maybe that's what we need to do. Sports pro Kingston. You're not the first to suggest this since I've been uh, talking to people both internally and externally, Chris. So if I, enough people keep telling me it, it may, it may eventuate some stage, but um, I'm just happy that I can get my internet connection co- to work because the thought of having 5G out here is still not on the cards. So good to be able to connect and uh, who knows? Yeah, lots lots more interesting short stories to share. If I was, I've already, after a, a week and a half on the ground here, I've got about a dozen crazy stories that uh, have certainly added some spice to the life, that's for sure. 
Absolutely. Well, there's been a lot of stories in the sports broadcast space as well. So some of these we'd wanted to talk about and then, you know, life changes and throws curveballs and you move to Jamaica. So we'll jump straight into it. And I guess one of the biggest ones and interestingly, from the time we actually picked up this story, there's actually been some further news. And that is the ongoing saga drama story around what Disney's looking to do at the ESPN. And when we originally wanted to talk about this, it was sort of revealed that Disney was looking at potentially securing some strategic partners for its new sports division and essentially also looking at kind of how they were going to meld the two services between ESPN Plus with the main ESPN network. And that was kind of the first bit of who potentially would be the appropriate person to look and take on this partnership. But then it's continued. More news has come out. And more recently, I think just last week, although there's been all these rumors about ESPN going to a dedicated streaming service, we just never really knew when. But it seems like Bob Iger is sort of planted his flag and said it will happen as, as early as 2025. So, you know, I, we, we look at these two different ways, Nick, you know, from the from the partnership side, you know, where this makes sense, who potentially would come in to make such a deal. And then sort of the evolution of ESPN really staking their claim that they're really going to make this push to D to C. Look, I think this is such an important story. Not it's been going on for a long time. Like when's ESPN going to pull the trigger, but just ESPN is such a powerhouse sports broadcaster. They are really the benchmark for for the world, right? So if they make this move, it is really a, a tenpole moment for the industry to go, okay, it's it's now the shift has officially happened. We're now here. At the moment where we're inching forward into the new streaming world, like streaming's going nuts and the consumption numbers, particularly in markets like the US, are are off the charts. But ESPN are waiting for that moment because of the because of the incredible revenues they generate through through cable right so uh, the fact that they have now said that this is going to happen it's going to happen within within two years uh, two years being the latest is super significant because uh, because obviously they are such an incredible amount of revenue still coming from uh, that cable uh, revenue channel are they really going to step away from that i can't imagine they will step away from it completely they'll probably find some sort of middle ground but it's a pretty significant moment it, it could be a really significant moment depending on if they do just you know, turn the switch off on the cable offering, which I doubt, um, and, and then go go all in on, on the streaming offering. I mean, the, the question marks really are going to be, okay, does ESPN Plus just get molded into the ESPN network offering? They have a lot of exclusive deals with UFC, PGA Tour that sit within the ESPN Plus product. Will that just become part of the existing service? Seems like that would be in everyone's best interest, but will they keep Plus as more of a, a niche or a more premium proposition? Uh, you know, time will tell on that front. And ultimately, how ESPN will be distributed. You know, Disney Plus is one of the, the main subscription products in the marketplace. Will it continue? Uh, just Will it just be added into that as an integration in the same way, I suppose, that like maybe Discovery Plus is trying to do with their offerings across the globe? Or will it sit somewhere else completely? Will it sit standalone? Will it be globalized? This whole conversation that they've had around the strategic words of a partner to help them distribute this stuff is really interesting. Like, would would Netflix take this on and go, okay, well, we've just bought our our sports business from gone from naught to a hundred, um, courtesy of acquiring um, or finalizing a, a partnership with ESPN to make all that happen. So, yeah, a lot of question marks still, but I think it's great to see that there's kind of now a final, a final I wouldn't call it a final tipping point, but a final moment where we go, okay. Now the streaming world is real and we're here and uh, the sports world isn't now sitting on this sort of balancing uh, balancing point. Now we're now here all in on the streaming again, particularly in the US. Well, what I think is interesting in reading the article that our technology editor, Steve McCaskill, uh, wrote was, 
you know, you think about the the bundle, the bundle's been slowly been falling apart because of all the cord cutting, the Netflixes, the Amazon Primes, HBO Max, and all the other services. ESPN is really kind of, you could say, the one thing that's holding the bundle together because that's sort of the argument of having the bundle is, yes, there's the entertainment, but really it's probably that ESPN package in the sports that is holding that all together. So it almost leaves this whole domino effect of what ends up happening to the bundle. Is, is ESPN actually the last thing that's holding that sort of bastion of broadcast together? And what happens if ESPN just, like you said, we don't think that's necessarily likely, but if they do, I mean, what does happen to the bundle? Or is that pretty much at that point kind of the end of that generation? I think one thing we've learned over the last couple of years is that you can't really go direct to consumer alone. You can't do it really. You need to be bundled in some way, shape or form, part of something bigger to provide enough value to make it a no-brainer for consumers. Without it, it's a fight. It's a dogfight to try and win audiences and eyeballs. Uh, and you were going to have to work with some of the big players. Is it Prime Video? Is it Netflix? Or, or is it is it someone? Or is it Apple? Uh, are the obvious names that are getting thrown around? Or is it YouTube even? Who knows with what they're doing with YouTube TV? But you can't do it alone. You have to be bundled in some way, shape or form. And the comprehensiveness of what ESPN has to offer is is second to none. You know, people will use different metrics to compare them to some of the other major public broadcast services in the US from a sports consumption perspective, but no, no one compares globally in terms of the robustness and the investment they make in sports. So, yeah, I think in many ways they are they're sitting at the heart and soul of what the bundle, the traditional bundle was. Now they will probably drive in a huge amount of interest and engagement and uh, shift audiences as and when they pull that trigger with whoever they decide to work with, whether it's Disney or any of the others. Well, like you and I have kept talking about, Nick, the one thing we need is just need ESPN globally. Like uh, to me, like if you can get that solved, like take my money because that, I mean, granted, I'm an American living abroad. I'm fairly unique i'd say but like just give me that service i'm I'm already paying for espn plus i don't know why i can't access or use 75 percent of the features that come with it but if they can just make something i would love to see a global deal just selfishly and you know college sports would be great you know what i think the problem has been historically um that i've wondered that as well like you know are we going to see another another effort by espn to go global again they have tried they've been in various markets and evolved and changed shape over the years and it hasn't really worked. Um, you know, some markets it has more than others. I mean, even in Disney Star, uh, it's probably a you know in, in many ways, so Disney's effort in the in, in India to tackle that sports market linked with the, the parent business, and now they've sold that too, or they're selling that that part of it too. So it feels like they're, they're set up. You know, once they make that move in twenty five to maybe rekindle or rethink about going global again, the problem's always going to be coming around to those media rights being so localized. But you know, the NBA, some of the NBA's rights are going to be more available globally. That, that we've talked about before the the Zone NFL Game Pass deal. If that sort of product approach is doable, where NFL Game Pass as a product can be shifted into a platform like that, then. Yeah, maybe there's more opportunities to come to globalize again ESPN like never before. So um, yeah, certainly a lot more to happen in that front. It's not just going to be simple, simply shifting themselves over to those networks, I imagine. That might be step one, but I think you'll see a lot more steps after that where I, I can't see them not expanding their business into other markets really. Yeah. Well, one of the things you did mention, a potential partner there would be Netflix. And something that uh, interestingly has happened this week was we finally had Netflix's, I guess, first foray into broadcasting live sports. Now, whether or not uh, we can call it proper live sports or if it's a, another take on the celebrity boxing with misfits, we finally got to see their celebrity golf tournament, the Netflix Cup, 
bringing together some of the F1 drive to survive and um, what was oh gosh Nick I don't watch golf is it Top Shot is that what they were doing with their their golf documentary they've got on Netflix? God, I should really know that, shouldn't I? Uh, it's not Top Shot. That is that is the uh, the golf um, the simulator place, uh, I believe, isn't oh, it? Oh, that uh, is, isn't it? Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll do. We, we can full look. Up. If I had a hand full freak, swing. I'm holding this full, full swing. swing. That's it. There we go. God, I've really made a mark on us. No, I, I actually enjoyed that series quite a lot. But um, yeah. yeah, there we go. We we should really do more research coming into these, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem is, just like, I don't watch F1. I don't watch golf. Um, I love Scott Gutterman PGA Tour. Love what he's doing from an innovation front. Just not a golf guy. But uh, anyways, they did have their first launch of a streaming a live sport. And just, you know, there's been all these different rumors about whether or not Netflix will ever get into this. And, you know, it's not even just a sports front. Is it live streaming in general? Even some of their entertainment shows that we've seen. Now, I saw some of the highlights. I'll be honest with you, Nick. It looked incredibly chaotic. I'm not 100% sure what was actually going on. I read some of the reviews. It didn't seem like there were any issues from a streaming or latency perspective. But I think one of the things that was evident is that broadcasting live sports is really difficult. People were talking about the camera angles, how the camera followed the action, some of the audio setup, and probably did demonstrate or gave Netflix some I guess, insights into how far they actually still need to go if this is a move they want to make in just terms of a logistics and all of everything that goes into it. Yeah, I, I, look, Netflix looking at live uh, live content um, will be looking at it completely differently to what a traditional broadcaster probably does. You know, In this instance, because of the crossover marketing they're able to do with both full swing and drive to survive they're able to get a huge amount of marketing value out of it which you can put a, a number against to to justify the investment they are making and, and the coverage and exposure it generates through social and the conversation it creates on social media there's all sorts of extra value they can get out of this whereas other content you know your let's say your classic titles like your stranger things and so forth they've invested to before they are probably going to be messaged a little bit more empirically on like on you know watch time on subscriber acquisition etc but i imagine this sort of project is is just as much measured against um marketability marketing return and also gives them a, a chance to start dipping their toe into uh, the live live production game they didn't have a great effort at it when they did the uh, i think it's called love is blind uh, finale where that went uh, had a bit, bit pear-shaped and in this instance, a lot of the feedback I had was you know, not around the, um, the the latency and issues with connectivity, but indeed the production was a bit not fit for purpose. You know, I think I don't know who they used. I don't know what whether it was all internal, but things like how the audio was managed wasn't quite right. Things how some of the the pictures were were almost it was borderline unwatchable. Was some of the feedback on social? Now, granted, social can be a little bit dramatic. Uh, it's naught to a hundred uh, normally on, on social. It seems like they have a, got a lot to learn around production of 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 live live content, live sports. But that is no surprise. I wonder. I do wonder if it's a surprise to them if there's a bit of it, or whether or not that they did expect it to be rough around the edges. Because if they wanted to be perfect, then they could have used a whole bunch of great production businesses out there to to nail it. Um, there's some great organisations, whether it's IMG, NEP, etc., who can deliver. Uh, those sorts of things so interesting to do it i mean the pictures look pretty incredible with that uh vegas sphere in the background looking over them uh i don't know if you guys haven't seen it but uh check it out on social media it's it's something else but uh, yeah is it the question is is it just the beginning do will they ever need to start investing into premium live sports i imagine they will in the future but for now 
They can keep testing. There's speculation and rumors that they're looking at other entertainment-based products now. And you're going to keep hearing a lot of rumors now that they've finally ripped the, the Band-Aid off uh, of doing live sports. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. In terms of some of uh, podcasts we did probably about four weeks ago, we did a kind of a forecast of the European football uh just the health check of how everything was going. And we've had a few news stories that have kind of followed up on that. Some of it's confirmed some of what we potentially assume, but kind of going through it sort of three different leagues, we'll kind of start probably the one that's maybe perhaps the most damning or most concerning, which is with League One in France. And essentially, they've canceled their auction. We, we talked about there was a bit of a concern that, you know, Canal Plus, the long-time broadcaster, essentially said, we're not coming back in for this. And we explained some of that was due to maybe some frustrations in the relationship and how the previous negotiations had gone and how some of the rights were sold, perhaps maybe under market value. And just basically there never came a real proper sort of bidding war. And the bids that did came in were severely sort of under what they were trying to achieve, which I think was around a billion dollars a year. So now they've basically canceled the auction. I'll be honest, Nick, I don't really know what comes next. Yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon. And actually, Serie A was pretty similar, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. Um, I think it's just a result of a couple of years ago, everyone was looking at media rights and expecting it to continue this upwards trajectory. Private equity money came in and uh, most of the private equity money came in was bankrolled or um, measured against the growth of media rights revenue that was projected a few years ago. And now, fast forward now, when we've hit a brick wall and sports um, broadcasters who are looking to invest into live sports don't need to invest the and, and have the breadth of rights that they perhaps used to and fundamentally sports as a needle mover from a traditional live sports perspective isn't playing the same role it did five plus years ago because of the breadth of entertainment at people's fingertips right so there's all sorts of challenges wrapped around this and also because of the ability for sports and broadcasters to fragment rights now, you're going to see very few broadcasters ever look to get a fully exclusive deal in place. It just doesn't make financial sense these days. The, the example we've used before, I believe, is that in the UK with Sky Sports, who have enough critical mass on the live games, that if you want to subscribe to anything and you want to watch the Premier League, you will have to subscribe to them. They will never need to own 100% of those rights to drive subscription. There's a, there's, there is a sort of a, a tipping point where it's not financially worthwhile to buy any more games. And that, I think, is just prevalent across the entire um, live sports and uh, sports rights landscape now. Broadcasters will almost never need to pay uh, and buy up all those rights, particularly for premium sports. The caveat on all that will be, you know, you've got the MLS deal, um, although that you would argue is probably not a premium property in the same way the NFL, NBA, and the Premier League uh, are. Um, so they are a great testbed to see if that, that sort of true partnership model can work. But I think the LFP has got a, a real difficult uh, road ahead to try and get anywhere near the revenues they were hoping to create. The reality is they will not. And then how are they going to adjust accordingly? My guess will they'll be trying to get more games free to wear, try and generate more income through sponsorship models um, and other areas. But the media rights opportunity for them is, is really capped as it is with most major sports properties this day and age. Yeah, it, it, it is, it is a tough one. And I think, you know, 
the fragmentation has, has caused these sorts of different things in terms of just it brought more money in the short term, but probably has done some long term damage. And I think, like I said, I, I've been slightly pessimistic at times about sort of where sports is headed long term in terms of just the cost of being a fan, whether it's getting two games, whether it's watching games, you know, you take some of that money up front, but long term, are you damaging, you know, what happens when that's 14 year old doesn't become a fan um, and you know those demographics age out so I don't think it's unique to them I think there's gonna be lots of people that are gonna have to deal with this and we're gonna talk about some other organizations that are in fact having to deal with this and it kind of leads us on to Syria and Italy now they have seemingly sort of concluded their next set of rights which is going to keep them almost what seems like status quo from what they were before with a balance of the majority of it going to the zone and the rest going to sky Italy but it does sort of represent maybe perhaps a, a disappointment for them in the sense that they've not actually gone out and been able to, to secure more money, that they're pretty much almost saying it's a status quo. And I would say, you know, that's probably maybe best case scenario because I at least think, Nick, that we're probably getting to a point outside of maybe a few of the really, truly big leagues, we probably have hit that ceiling. Yeah, for sure. I think um, what the outcome is with Serie A is, is probably about as good as it could have been in spite of what their ambitions were. I think that's always the challenge in this industry now is the tide is shifting so quickly is expectations have to match reality and they, have, they haven't been a lot across our industry, particularly in football where there is so much financial pressure coming from all different angles. And you think about the, the, the wage to turnover ratios that exist in across most of the major leagues, people are spending more money than they should be to run a viable business model because they're expecting just the, the growth of those uh, clubs to continue in the trajectory they have, which means that they can spend what they like and in the end they'll get the return they want when they look to sell their organizations. But that is not playing out the way that I think many investors thought uh, thought it would. I mean, look, DAZN have a guaranteed you know, a minimum amount of revenue. I think it's something like 700 million euros per season. There's also a rev share component towards the end of that deal, which is interesting around subscription performance. Um, so there will be a bit of a, a rev share, a, a, a um, joint um, share and risk, I suppose, in some ways with what DAZN and what Serie A is doing and some upside, I suppose, on those numbers if it does really work. Um, Sky Italia have a bit around something like 200 a season. Um, so there's some not there's some decent money being there, but it's definitely not aligned with what the expectations were going into this sort of media right cycle. So actually, I think the, the feedback from some of the owners were they were not particularly, some of them weren't particularly happy with accepting, although I think the majority by 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 the vast majority did accept the, the deals that were on the table. There was a couple that wished and thought we should have gone direct to consumer instead, which sounds great on paper, but I think it's probably still too early for them to, to really go for it yet. Well, it's interesting because you just brought up the question I wanted to ask, which is thinking back to our friends at Palk TV um, in Greece. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please go back. Palk, P-A-O-K, great interview with our friend Peñatis, who we'll see out in Madrid, basically talking about how they didn't get the offer they wanted from the broadcaster, so they decided to go D to C. Um, and 12 months later on, they ended up getting the offer that they wanted. And, you know, with this D to C, we've talked about this, Nick, you know, there's the the famous tweet um, that goes out from TalkSport UK. I think it was the former Crystal Palace owner or something like that saying the Premier League would make $10 billion a year if it just had a DDC platform. And we've pretty much sort of poked holes in that argument as to why that wouldn't be possible. But are we getting to a point, at least maybe like, you know, for League One to say like, they maybe do, do need to consider that? Or as you say, like, are we actually still probably too far away from someone of that scale pulling off that kind of move? 
Um, I think it's too early still because also I think people underappreciate like how difficult marketing and subscriber acquisition is and to expect now, again, not only clubs are having more of a direct relationship with fans, but then to say, now you've got to go and secure subscribers, reduce, keep your churn rates low and build a relationship with um, your fans in a different way. All sorts of new pressure comes on those clubs to deliver against it. And I just don't think most of them are built for it, particularly not the small clubs, alone the bigger ones. So typically I think you would expect this whole direct-to-consumer concept to probably be start with a league first because they can at least centralize that that effort and the energy and the finances and resources but but i I do believe still quite vehemently that people are going to subscribe to a club-based subscription much more likely than they would to a league-based subscription as a a first port of call Uh, at the moment the model is is back to front and i think that will need to change at some stage but i just think it needs we're going to have to wait and see a bit more time before we get to that point yeah, no, and I agree with that. I think it's one of the things uh, Major League Baseball has done, which I think is a, a great way. And I think the NBA does it as well, as you're talking about there, Nick, in terms of putting uh, or providing an option for people to just subscribe to the single team. Now, it might help that baseball's got 162 games and the NBA's got 82 games where you can probably justify that cost for a single team. Um, I don't know if uh, a, a, a league that has not quite as many games can potentially pull off that sort of move but you know moving into another league one that's hopefully or looking to have a bit more success would be the premier league itself and one of the news stories that we wanted to talk about is that the premier league is looking to expand the amount of matches it currently has now if anyone that's listening to the podcast you'll know i'm not a fan of the fact that the premier league only legally in the uk offers 52 percent of their games to fans but there's now rumors or i guess confirmation of the fact in the next set of negotiations they're going to up that number from 200 matches a year to 270 it seems like that will mostly be fit around that current existing amazon package um, where it's some of those special offerings around certain times of the year and I believe that's currently going at about 90 million pounds a year. And they're hoping with the expanded amount of games, that's going to rise to 300 pounds a year annually. Um, and it is interesting because I think we've said the Premier League is about the only league in the world that makes more money internationally than it does domestically. So certainly, while there are some healthy signs of growth for them, there is some concern about kind of what is happening from a domestic side of things. So with these expanded games, Nick, you've touched on it before, uh, more games doesn't always necessarily mean more money when you start dividing it out on a per-game basis, but is this something that just seems like it's it's going to have to happen because of, A, the pressures of having to raise money, but also the pressures from fans saying that we're just simply not being offered enough? Yeah, I mean, we're in a unique situation, right, because of the legacy of that 3 p.m. blackout here in the UK that uh, here in the UK, I don't live in the UK anymore, yeah. <laughs> they're in the UK, uh, um, that they can continue. They're one of the unique situations that domestically they can, outside of the US, of course, that they can continue to grow uh, media rights revenues because they have a load of games still un- not on broadcast. And so they can be very careful and smart with how they approach it. Um, ultimately, you're going to see probably more fragmentation again. You're probably going to see, I mean, I'd be, be, it'd be a shock if DAZN weren't trying to get a, a package uh, appropriate for, for them. Amazon's historical deal is pretty low, low, uh, at a low price point. So again, you would expect both the Premier League and indeed Amazon will probably be wanting more uh, of that. Um, and what's interesting, I think, from an Amazon perspective is we, you know, outside of the Thursday night football move they did in the US, it was really the the big move, right? The literally the billion dollar move, uh, or the tens of billion, uh, ten billion dollar move that they made. So, could they come and shock us with a huge bid to take a lion's share of rights? Uh, 
or a, a set of rights that would make them a destination like uh, like they have with Thursday Night Football. Uh, I think they would they would love that. I know that that's something when talking to Marie Donahue that was definitely on their their radar is creating those moments that drives significant eyeballs and attention and and connectivity with their brand. But I, I, my guess is you're going to see just, uh, you probably see Amazon, you probably see DAZN take a few more rights. You'll see uh, Warner Brothers or Discovery, um, or sorry, TNT Sports, I should say, and Sky Sports take similar packages from last time around. Sky's in a unique situation now where because they have this incredible deal with the lower tier football leagues that if they were to actually keep the same or even reduce some of their, their games on the, in the Premier League, I don't think it would hurt them nearly as much as it would hurt anyone else because they have such a critical mass of football matches uh, in the UK. That being said, they will still want to be the home of UK football. And so they will aim for at least the, the majority, uh, at least that more than anyone else, uh, that, that is for sure. But I think they can be much more crafty than perhaps before where you know there, there was even more pressure on to keep such a, a huge uh, a proportion of those rights. Now they can be a little bit more selective, I think. Well, we'll we'll stick with Amazon because one of the other stories we want to talk about is around them. Uh, But we're flipping back across the pond to the NBA, who are going to be the next big set of rights holders in the States to to have their negotiation deals. And everyone is essentially expecting that one to be significantly more than the last rights cycle. Um, They've currently got, you know, their existing relationship with uh, TNT, which I imagine most people think will probably stay just given the good equity that's been built up over the time there. Uh, they've also got different agreements with Disney and ESPN. But there are rumors that Amazon would like to replicate a similar move that they've done with the NFL and create a kind of a Thursday night NBA package, uh, which would be interesting in itself to almost maybe perhaps just make Amazon. That's kind of their thing. You know, they're never going to be the one that has the majority of everything, but they've got a specific package, a specific thing across all their sports portfolio that that's where it lines up. So I don't know, Nick, for you, if you think perhaps a little bit more about the NBA side of things, if they're going to be going more digital, will they be looking at doing something, you know, akin to what the NFL's done with DAZN and having a kind of a more organized international package. There's lots of different things to unpack with the NBA, including what Amazon's potentially looking to do. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, what's interesting from what I understand, um, there's been a lot of talk about this NBA uh, media rights cycle for some time, particularly after the NFL deal, because the NFL deals, collectively blew everyone away at the scale of them. But also the NBA hasn't really actually been able to actively negotiate on these deals with some of the new parties because there's been a window of time where TNT uh, or Warner Brothers Discovery and uh, ESPN have exclusive like rights negotiation uh, or a window in place where that no one else can negotiate with them definitively. I'm sure they're having loads of uh, informal conversations, though, to give give shape and direction. But ultimately, you know, the NBA is is seen and wants to be seen as an in, one of the more innovative leagues, particularly in the US, but indeed the world. They will definitely be interested in looking at bringing in, I'd say, at least one or two major streaming partners into the mix to expand their breadth of partners and expand their reach and set themselves up for, for longer-term success. Building, you know, You've seen the, NF, um, the NFL do that in the last cycle. The previous one is they wanted to get the Amazon involved in some way, shape, or form, build that relationship, and then start building and building and building with them. Uh, and the NBA is probably as good as doing that as possible. You have this in-season tournament that's just been released. I'd expect that to be, you know, there's going to be global rights available for that, that sort of proposition. Who knows? It would make some sense if some Apple wanted to make a move finally for someone else that they would take that because of the globality of those rights. So I'm excited to see what the NBA do. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that they're going to really move. 
I said, push the boat out or do something quite innovative because they've really set the bar high in terms of their perception uh, in this market for being the guys that do that sort of thing. So time will tell, but I think they're going to see record revenues. They're going to see more partners on board. Um, and obviously, if you throw in the mix or what's happening on a local level with RSNs and so forth, it's really complex for the NBA to find out what that right mix. I don't think they've got the dream probably picture in their heads. You've got a bunch of teams trying to go either direct to consumer or take a more localized approach with their rights now. So it's it's a very complicated situation for the NBA, but no doubt they'll, they'll work out the best case and, and find a solution. Well, Nick, it's been a very international episode. Myself in London, you in Jamaica, we've talked about news in the States. We've talked about news across Europe. But now we're going to go slightly in a different direction and talk about news over in India, a market that we've spent some time talking about. Um, you know, guests such as Sanjog coming with us to talk about what they're doing at Disney Star. Artie Dabas talking about some of her time working in that market within cricket. But now there's more stories falling kind of Disney and that whole area that they're looking to get rid of some of their uh, Disney star business. And part of this could be directly related to the fact that Disney star did lose out on some of the rights to the IPL. But why is this something perhaps Nick that we should be considering or something that people should be thinking about? Well, look, I mean, there's a lot to follow in the India market and um, we've been trying to do a bit of that this year because the numbers are staggering, um, both from a financial perspective and also an audience perspective. I think I saw uh, numbers from Sunil, who's at the ICC, the media rights director, that the recent semi-final um, with, uh, I think it's New Zealand and India in the World Cup, had 53 million concurrent viewers watching it uh, free, I think, I'm guessing free to air. Just for lots of, just insane numbers, right? Just insane numbers. So the audience, audiences are still there. Cricket is still um, an incredibly important sport in the whole infrastructure of India. Um, so we're following it pretty closely. Now, the, the deal with um, Disney Star and, and being acquired by a reliance, I think is an interesting one, mainly from the, the fact that, you Disney would be making a lot of sound, sounds and noises that they this they were up for sale. Or Disney Star was going to be up for sale. Um, what this does is it takes away a bit of the competition in that market. So I would think as a result of that, it means that the IPL cannot expect anywhere near the increase in uh, media rights revenues that it saw in the last cycle, which were off the charts. But I, I struggle to see that happening now when basically the two major players in that market are becoming one normally just means less less competition means less less competitive pressure means less likely to overbid for those rights so that's the main thing i took away from it is i think um you know it means a bit of uh, consolidation on um and some cost savings it means that audiences are um sitting with one major major player in that market i don't know if there's anything to do with you know in certain markets i'm not sure i'm forgetting the, the terminology here but when you see two major players uh, merge together. That normally there's some um, review that needs to be happening at, at a governmental level. I'm not sure that's going to be something that needs to play out um, because of the scale. Um, but all all it means really is that I think that the IPL can't expect the same sort of growth it has in, in the in, has had in the previous cycle. But I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to rush to merge those platforms in the, in the next couple of years. Once they get the deal done, it'll just take time for them to move and migrate audiences uh, as and when they see fit. Now, Nick, I am going to take you a little off piece because this is not something we spoke about, but I saw you post about it on LinkedIn and I thought it was an interesting conversation, something for us to follow up on because we have touched on it before. 
is around DAZN's choice, their bit of their U-turn in terms of how they were going to go about broadcasting the Women's Champions League. And we talked about, would this be the opportunity to finally make that work? And I think an interesting story that also came up last week was the NWSL in the USA, which happened, I believe, sign a $240 million a deal, $240 million deal over four years, which is $60 million a season, which uh, someone else has done the math for me, which is apparently a 40-fold increase on their previous deal. And some of that is going to be um, on CBS Sports, their pay TV channels, Paramount Plus. Some of it will be on free to air. But, you know, perhaps just talking from a women's football perspective, you know, the zone side of things, you know, we were talking about, is this the moment that we could finally push to have this uh, a paid model as opposed to having to do everything free to air? And then maybe a little bit just how we're seeing it slightly differently on the other side of the pond with the NWSL deal. Yeah, so I mean, f- just as a, as a quick recap again, so DAZN have a deal in place with YouTube and UEFA to have the UEFA Women's Champions League rights. And this year they were looking to put uh, the majority of those games, I think two thirds roughly, behind the DAZN paywall. And what they've decided to do is is take, and that was when I spoke to people both in DAZN and in around DAZN and women's sports, there was some real uncertainty, I suppose, as to what was going to play out. If, well, they didn't say it, but you could definitely feel it. And and I think what they've done here is they've taken, they've gone, what they're going to do is they're not just going to go, okay, we're just going to make it free and, and we'll see what happens. I've actually seen on LinkedIn uh, just yesterday, they are advertising for a sponsorship director for women's football on zone. Basically, what they're saying is they're going to try and generate revenue through advertising and sponsorship. And they believe that model will generate more income than trying to sell subscriptions. So ultimately that is a bit of a litmus test. They will know better than anyone really what can drive audiences and what's what sort of subscription uh, results they would probably be expecting off the back of a set of rights. They've determined that it'd be be they'd be better off with going out to market basically one-to-one almost to try and sell positioning along those games instead and you know what i think it does make a truckload of sense i think it's good for um, the uefa women's champions league and for women's football to continue to have expanded exposure because it's been doing well it's been getting eyeballs it's still only early stages but i think that's much more of a makes it more a lot more financial sense and a lot more uh, awareness sense for everyone involved but um, my point is uh, that I've made uh, sort of on, on social is uh, I am disappointed that they're doing it for this pure sense of I wanted to see if it could work because if it could work, it would open up the flood, floodgates for more, way more investment into uh, other women's football properties, um, which would be great to see um, because it would just mean that obviously more money was being distributed to more sports properties generally, like take away the women's component of it, just sports properties that are that's more niche or more uh, have a, a smaller audience base. Can they move the needle enough to drive media rights investment from broadcasters? That's what I'm really looking to see. And so we're not going to see it in this instance. And I do think it makes a lot of business sense. I just wish they did it for our own pur- purposes and for us to be able to talk about it on the pod in a, in a six, six to 12 months time. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the NWSL deal is interesting since it's it's four years long. And I know sixty million doesn't seem a ton of sixty million a year does not seem a ton of money compared to when we're speaking about things like the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA and the other sports over there. But it's not small money. And I think also the fact that it's a four year deal provides a little bit of security. And I think it'd be interesting from you know, our podcast we did with Chris Hurst at the Women's Sports Trust, you know, one of the biggest complaints was just the technology being used to broadcast it. But 
having to deal with Amazon, CBS, ESPN, you'd like to think the coverage is going to match some of that. So it'll be really interesting to see with those major broadcasters, with the length of the deal, the increase financially, if some of those complaints that have come out about just how much are people putting in to promote it, to broadcast it at a high level, if that does have return in terms of the overall growth of people that are outside of the, the standard fan base. Yeah, completely. I mean, rewinding a few years ago, the what the WSL did at the time, if I remember correctly, was they did that deal with CBS, and uh, like you, I think you said the numbers there a couple of million a year at best, um, and they also distributed globally on Twitch. Now, uh, that was you know a lot of excitement around that deal, but I don't think it really worked uh, for them. In fact, Twitch has really stepped back away from sports from what I understand. I don't think they're making many uh, inroads into it like they were a few years ago. Um, so yeah, this becomes, uh, you know, puts them into a much more traditional, I suppose, sports rights approach. Whereas before they were trying to find ways of creating new opportunities, um, which is quite common for a challenger sports property to do. So um, yeah, it puts them in a much more comfortable position and they can then build those relationships with broadcasters and hope to continue to get more value out of them. Absolutely. Well, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you back. I hope you continue to enjoy the weather once the rain stops. I imagine a tropical climate like that. It probably does rain every day, but I'm sure there's plenty of sunshine. And I'm sure our viewers are glad to have you back because it's been a little bit lonely with just me. Good to be back, Chris. I mean, obviously, I'm really gutted that because of this move that I actually won't be getting out to Sports Pro Madrid this year because it is looking like a great event um, with some incredible people there. And a lot of people we've been talking about even on today's pod will be will be on display out there in Madrid. So uh, you'll be on the ground there uh, catching up with um, your stream time listeners and, and indeed the audience there. Um, we're looking at record numbers and attending that event, but I'm gutted I won't be there uh, for this year because just quite frankly, family, getting people settled and kid, little little kids getting them settled uh, isn't really good time for me to sort of just jet away uh, when we're a couple of weeks in. But uh, look, good to catch up and look forward to catching up again on the, the next pod. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.